On that note, would you gather with me as we pray? Let's come before God. Gracious God, we come before You right now, longing to hear from Your Word, thankful for the sound of new baby cries, for teenagers in the room, thankful for those joining us online, wherever we are, wherever we've come from. Lord, we come together as a family, as a community, move in us, shape us, mould us. I'm so thankful today Your Word doesn't return void. So I pray as always, less of me, more of you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friends, I wonder, I wonder if you know what your rhythms are for 2023. If you come into my house and you turn right, you go into my lounge room. Now, this is not meant to be a blueprint or a way for you to start planning how to rule Michael's house. But if you turn right, you will see a lounge. And next to the lounge, you'll see three guitars. Now, most people who come over to my house for the first time, they come in and they're like, oh, uh, Michael, I, I see the three guitars. They ask me this great question. They're like, so, you, uh, I didn't know you played guitar. My wife is usually fairly quick to quip. Yes, neither did I, because I don't play guitar. And these three guitars have been gathering dust for the better part of five, six years. Not the first one. The first one is my son's guitar. That's a three-year-old size guitar. The second one is a guitar I've had on loan from a friend for about 12 years to learn playing guitar. I don't think he even remembers that it's, that it's there. And then the, the other one was one my wife bought me about five years ago. She's like, I really wanna support your dreams to play guitar. And I was so thankful, so thankful that I put it in the lounge room and didn't touch it again. Now, there's this thing in me where I would love to be able to play guitar. I'd love to be able to hop up here one day and be like, you thought that you had a pastor. It's Tommy Emmanuel in disguise. It's Carlos Santana ripping some amazing riffs on the stage. You might hear me hop up to preach one week and along for the day. We're like, Michael, don't talk, just play, just play. But to do that, I would need to have actually practised Ever. I know about three chords. Someone came up to me the first, after the first surface and they said, do you know what uh, God's favourite chord is? And I said, no, what's God's favourite chord? And he goes, Jesus. And I was like, yeah, it took me a while as well. Jesus, the, yeah, anyway, I didn't find it that funny. But I laughed because it's <laughs> so good. Please don't talk. There's this, um, there's this thing in me where I love to play guitar. And every year I have a New Year's resolution. I'm going to play guitar this year. But here's what I know. Who I become every year is defined by my rhythms. Who I become every year is defined by my rhythms. So when I get home at night and I think, what should I do tonight? I could practice guitar or I could watch Netflix. The flesh side of me regularly goes to Netflix. When I, when I come home after church, I'm like, I could practice guitar or I could have a nap. I nap and what I find is that here I am yet again at the beginning of another year refusing to say, I will learn guitar this year. So if it happens, it's a surprise for everyone, but I've succumbed to defeat because my longing to become Tommy Emmanuel is not great enough to pull me into an act of a rhythm that actually teaches me guitar. Why do I say this? Because I think this is actually how many of our faith plays out. You know, part of the call of New Life here as a church, if you're new here today, if you come for uh, Elora's baptism, such a big welcome to you. Thank you for being here. But the mission and heart of our church, you ask anyone that's been here for a while, is this. We are passionate about seeing more people become more like Jesus. But that's not something we're hoping out there. That's something that we hope starts in here with us. But just like my guitar playing, becoming like Jesus isn't something that happens by accident. It's not something we just fall into. And for many of us, our rhythms and our faith leads our Bibles, our hearts, our souls, gathering dust in the corner. 
as we spend year after year becoming nothing like Christ when God wants to teach you how to make beautiful music with your lives. Friends, what are the rhythms of your life leading you to become? This question of becoming is not a religious question. It's a question for everyone in the room. It's a discipleship question because we are all being discipled by something. There's a question for those of you who call yourself Christians today. A guy named Dallas Willard says it like this. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by professional culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the Kingdom and the heavens into the every corner of human existence. Now, for those of you who maybe you're 12 years old, you're starting grade seven and you're like, wow, he's already lost me, I'm thoroughly bored. Or maybe you're old and you already think that but don't wanna admit it. Let me explain what Dallas Willard is saying this. He's saying there's a difference from being a Christian and being a disciple. Let me say this again. There's a difference from being a Christian I mean, a disciple. Yet if I asked many of you here today, which one are you? You would be confused. You'd be like, oh, I think I'm a Christian. Why do I draw that difference? Because we have a lot of Christians in our world. So over two billion of them. A lot of people who say they believe in Jesus Christ. But I want to define a Christian as someone who knows how to hear God, knows how to listen in a service, knows how to rock up. You might even own a Bible. You might even believe in this passively. But Jesus is not looking for Christians. Jesus is calling disciples. And a disciple is not someone who just knows how to hear. A disciple is someone who knows how to do. See, in, in ancient culture, there were these things called disciples. And disciples were people who would follow a master. If you had someone that was discipling you, it was that you had a teacher of pottery or fishing or, or archery. And you would follow this teacher and they would teach you how to become like them. And the responsibility upon your life wasn't just to follow them around and listen and regurgitate back what they said. The responsibility on your life, if you were someone's disciple, was to do what they said. And friends, what Dallas Willard is highlighting for us today is Christianity is filled with a lot of hearers, but not a lot of doers. And today I wanna ask you, what is your rhythm of hearing the Word of God, but secondly, of obeying the Word of God? Now I know I've lost some of you already in the room. You're like, oh, we're talking about obedience today. Michael, I brought my non-Christian friends today. Don't talk about obedience. Some of you are teenagers in the room. You're like, I'm not obeying anyone. Just like I'm not obeying mum and dad. I told them that this morning. But just stay with me for a moment because here's my challenge. I think we all obey someone. I think we're all obedient to something. How do I know that? Because you all look really good today. You look great. Why did you not wear a potato sack to church? How come you dressed the way you dressed? I can tell you why, because we're obedient to social norms. And that's a good thing. I'm glad you wore clothes. I'm glad that you obeyed social norms. We obey road rules. Most of us obey road rules on the way to church. Most of us, we obey legislation, but we also obey things that aren't so overt, don't we? We obey, we obey culture. We obey societal pressures. We obey friends in school. We obey our boss at work. We obey people so that we might fit in. Friends, the question is not if you obey, it's what and whom you're obedient to. The question is not if, it's what and whom you're obedient to. Because here's my hope. Is what you're obeying leading you to freedom? Is what you're obeying leading you to life? 
Is it leading you to flourishing? Because here's what I know. The obedience that Jesus Christ calls us into is an obedience that leads us to flourishing. It leads to freedom. It leads to life and life to the full. Is that what you could say of yourself? And friends, the call is that we might be disciples who taste this freedom. How do we taste it? That we aren't just people who hear the Word of God, but we do the Word of God. Today, the question is this, what is your rhythm of hearing and doing in 2023? Now, when we're asking, well, where is this in the Bible, Michael? Where does it talk about hearing and obeying? Why is this so important? Well, I want you to turn with me to James chapter two. James chapter two, it'll be on the screen. No, James chapter one, actually, I've changed my mind. James chapter one, it'll be on the screen behind me. And the Apostle James says this, he's writing to a local group of Christians and he challenges these Christians. He says this, do not merely listen. Everyone say, listen. The youth down the front, you guys are nailing that. Well done. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Everyone say do. do. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it does not forget what they have heard but doing it they will be blessed in what they do. There are two things that Apostle James says a disciple of Christ do. They listen to the Word of God and they do what the Word says. It's quite simple, but I don't know about you, this is pretty challenging. So today I'm just gonna talk about two things. What does it mean for us to have a listen, a rhythm of listening? And what does it mean for us to have a rhythm of obeying? Stay with me for the obeying part because I believe it's the pathway to freedom. Friends, where do we listen to the Word of God? Well, the question I would ask you is simply this. Why are you here today? Why are you here? Well, Michael, because Shamer invited us to watch her. Why are you here today? Well, because Mum and Dad said that I had to come, otherwise I wouldn't be able to watch TV. Why are you here today? Why are you here? See, what we're doing right now is not religion. It's a deeply important rhythm that has held the church together since its inception back in the book of Acts. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Paul says, do not give up gathering weekly as the saints. Why? Do we gather so God might love us? Do we gather so we might be looking as good people? Anyone that's met someone that goes to church knows that someone that goes to church doesn't necessarily make you a good person, a nice person. Sometimes the meanest people in the room are the Christians. But what is it? Why do we come? It's because we believe there's something deeply important when we open the Word of God together. That when we sing the Word of God together, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, we think something happens in us. Something that couldn't happen if we were alone by ourselves. Why are people right now joining us online and not just sitting there reading their Bible? Because something shifts when we come under the Word of God together. Here's my promise to you today, friends. God will shift your heart. How we respond to that shifting determines if we're transformed for the better or for the worse. There is no such thing as coming before the Word of God and not having it do something in us. Why? Because every time we hear the Word of God, we have a choice to respond. And maybe you're sitting here today being like, Michael, I don't know if going to church is that important. There's a critic that would agree with you. He says, a critic once wrote a letter to a magazine saying, over the years, I suppose I've gone to church more than 1,000 times and I can't remember the specific content of even one sermon over those many years. What good was it going to church 1,000 times? 
And friends, I've run small groups where I've preached the Sunday and then gone to small group on the Monday and be like, hey guys, what stood out to you from the sermon? And they look at me with a blank face. You wanted us to listen? And it's like, ugh. And sometimes we can think that. It's like, why go to church? Like, I, don't, I don't remember these guys. You stand out in the front whale for like 30 minutes and we kind of all move on. And I don't really, is the point of coming and gathering only remembering? Well, I think it's important but I don't think you have to remember everything God has ever said over thousands of sermons. Because someone wrote back to this critic and they said this, over the past many years, I've eaten more than 1,000 meals prepared by my family. I cannot remember the specific menu of any of those meals, but they nourished me along the way and I would be a different man if I hadn't have had them. And see, this is why we gather. Teenagers, if you're in the room and you find church boring, your parents don't gather because they like subjecting you to punishment. They like gathering because they know, hey, this shapes us. This forms us. This builds us. But more than that, that something shifts when we open this Word together. See, friends, I think that we have relegated the Bible to the role of the pastor. That I hope the pastor got something interesting and funny to say from the Word. But that's because I think we've allowed the Bible to become nothing more than an unused guitar that sits in the corner that might be a good conversation piece should someone come over. The Bible that we hold the Bible that you turned on and, and, and opened the screen to this morning. That Bible has power. There is life. That Bible is the most illegal book in the world. We don't know that because we live in Australia. Many countries, it's illegal to actually own one. The Bible is the most stolen book of all time. It's the best selling book of all time. And it's the single reason why I am the man I am today is because the Word of God has shaped me. And I pray it would be what shapes us. We open the Word of God because we believe it's important. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes to his young disciple Timothy and he says this, that all Scripture, it'll be on the screen behind me, all Scripture is God breathed halfway down the screen and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think the reason why we hate the Bible is because we've misplaced the Bible. We think we should be able to read the Bible like a John Grisham thriller or like the latest bestseller from JK Rowling, like it's a Harry Potter novel. And we open it up and we fall asleep and we're like, man, that was boring. Last year, I told an analogy about this from the movie Notting Hill. And in Notting Hill, one of the guys, um, which, which, you know, it's, it's, it's a movie, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a widely age appropriate movie, but there's a moment in this, 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 this Notting Hill, it's beautiful, where Spike, the roommate, comes out eating a white substance from the fridge. And he says to Hugh Grant, hmm, there's something wrong with this yogurt. And Hugh Grant turns around and goes, that's not yogurt, that's mayonnaise. And Spike takes another mouthful and eats it. He goes, hmm, it's perfect mayonnaise then. Right Now, what, what is he doing then? He doesn't like the taste because he's misunderstood what it is. And sometimes I think it's the same with the Bible, that we go, ah, oh, it's just a boring book. But friends, can I tell you the point of the Bible wasn't to interest us. It is actually first and foremost, it is the inspired Word of God, where God inspired humanity. Over 1,500 years, God inspired 40 different authors, kings, prophets, shepherds, criminals, to write what He was doing in their time to their people. 
And over this, the course of history, these collections have been brought together that amazingly have formed a cohesive narrative that does not contradict but complements and tells us the narrative and the character and the nature of God. The Bible is the inspired Word of God, Spirit breathed and man ridden through which we understand the character of God, story of God, will of God and purpose of humanity. When we open this book, we believe things shift. We believe things change. And I guarantee you, the amount of shifting and change that happens in your life has direct correlation with the expectation of what you believe God is able to do in a moment. We gather for a purpose. And parents, I would say this. What would your children know about the importance of gathering by the rhythm of how you hear the Word of God? So much is dependent of our children's faith is based on whether or not mother and dad, mum and dad actually go to church, actually read the Word, the place of faith in their lives. There are teenagers in the room today. How challenging would it be if they turned around and said, mum and dad, why, why do we go to church as much as we do? What do we say? Maybe more than just, we had nothing better to do on Sunday. There's a reason we gather. We hear the word corporately because we believe it does something to us. But here's the other thing that we do, friends. We hear the word privately. We hear the word privately. I believe that the, the beauty of the Reformation, the beauty of the Christian faith is that there was a moment in history when this book was actually only translated into Latin. And so only those who understood Latin, the educated, the elite, the academics, only they could actually read it and then they shared it with everyone else. And the Reformation, which happened over 500 years ago, was when a group of men and women said, we don't believe this book should just be those who understand Latin. Let's translate it so every person can read the Word of God for themselves so that the church doesn't go, well, God says you must, but goes, they can read it for themselves. God's speaking to me directly. Friends, so many people say, oh man, I'd love to hear the Word of God. I'd love to hear God speak to me. The chief way God has spoken to me through my life has always been through His Word. That when I was 21 years old, I came to this church and uh, I was feeling really low in my faith. I was feeling uh, a, a bit worn out, distracted. I wasn't going too well. And many of you know this story. I came down the front for prayer after, at the end of the service, which we offer every week. And Stu Cameron, the lead minister, came and prayed for me. And I was hoping that in response, when he prayed for me, that uh, I said, you know, I just want to know what I need to do. And I was hoping he'd have something really cool. Like, you know, you need to go to Rabina Private Hospital and pray for everybody and revival's going to break out. Like God's going to use you. Or, you know, put on sackcloth and ashes and crawl to service paradise on your knees and, and God will just meet you there in that moment. And I'm like, what are you wanting me to do, Jesus? And Stu prayed for me. He said, Michael, I just sense God saying, um, hey, you need, to, you need to read your Bible. And I was like, could you go ask again? <laughs> like, could we have something like a bit better? And, and that day I went home and I opened up to the book of Jeremiah. Kids, don't open up to the book of Jeremiah as your first book of the Bible. It's like, it's a fast track to feeling really sad. Um, it was confusing, it was dense, but I'm like, you know what, God, I'm gonna commit to this. And every day since, not every day, most days since, I've got, a, I've got a journal. I wake up early. Since I've had kids, I used to wake up at 5.30 and I have to wake up at 4.30. And, um, and I just open up my journal and I sit with God in the Word and I just read. And, and I've got to tell you this, I'm so thankful that's what God said to me. My life has never been the same. My life has never been the same. This is more than just history. It's more than just kings and prophets and criminals and shepherds writing. This is the very living Word of God and it speaks to me, friends. And it can speak to you. What is your rhythm of Scripture? I just want to challenge some of you sitting here today and you're going, I just don't think God's real. I just don't, I just don't. 
know if God shifted. Can I challenge you? If you were to read a gospel for the next 30 days and every day stop and just journal, what is God saying in this moment? I challenge you, I guarantee you, I bet you, I guarantee that you would see something shift in your world. Because God meets us when we seek Him and search for Him. What is your rhythm of hearing the Word of God? But then there's this other element that, that James calls us to. He says, you know, don't just listen to the Word of God. Do the Word of God. Don't just listen to the Word of God. Do it. If we get that verse back up on the screen, thanks, Lana. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I think what we forget is that this Bible, this book is actually meant to be something which can transform the world if it starts to transform our hearts. And I think the world finds it confusing how much we don't take the Bible seriously. A guy named Gandhi, who was a, uh, a Hindu, but kind of was open to exploring all faiths. He said it like this. It was this beautiful moment where he turns around and says, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet but you treat it as nothing more than a piece of literature. This is a guy that didn't even believe in the Bible. And he goes, this, this thing, it matters. Oh, you guys don't wanna take it seriously. Well, maybe, maybe that's good for us because it could change the world. What James is saying here is something really important. That we need to move from a sermon appreciation society. We need to move from being really good book critics we need to move to people who take Jesus seriously. James has this really interesting thing. He says, it's like Christians are these people who look at themselves in the mirror going, that's what I look like. Oh, I don't look as pretty as I thought I did. And we turn away and the next moment we're like, man, I think I'm pretty good looking. I look like Brad Pitt. But we completely forget what we just saw in the mirror. Now we're like, yeah, but Michael, what, is the, what does the mirror mean? What's it symbolic of? I think it means a mirror. I think he's going, how weird would that be if you looked at yourself in a mirror and turned away and you're like, what do I look like again? He said, so too is it confusing for Christians who hear God say, love your neighbour as yourself. They're like, oh, that's, that's so good. And we turn away and we flip someone the bird on our drive home. It's like, that's confusing. How often we hear God say these words of, hey, shift your life, shape your life to be the servant of all, serve other people, love other people. And, and we listen to these inspiring sermons. We read these beautiful scriptures and then we turn away and our lives haven't shifted. They haven't changed. They've remained the same. As I've been praying this week for us as a family, I would just say this, I feel there's a call of God that would ask us this question. What would new life look like if we were radically obedient to the way of God? What would it look like? What would it look like if what we said at the end of a sermon in the courtyard was not just great sermon, pastor? Can I, I'm a words of encouragement guy. I love words of encouragement. Someone walk through the courtyard, someone grab my hand and be like, you did well today, mate. And I'm like, oh, I thought everyone was gonna leave. Oh, thank God, it was okay. You know, that's so lovely and I appreciate that. But can I tell you what's actually a beautiful encouragement? Not, hey, Michael, you did well today. But here's, the, here's a great encouragement. Hey, Michael, this is what God's saying to me today. That's what I need to go do. It's interesting I said that and still after the first service, I was walking to the courtyard, some guys may say, hey, you did really well today. I wanted to be like, yeah, no, but, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> like, what's the next step? And I love that. Like, it was, it was beautiful, it was a sweet lady and, and I don't wanna criticise. Words of encouragement, great. But the greatest, the greatest compliment is that we actually, something shifts in us. 
How many times do we find ourselves crying in church, but on Monday we've forgotten what God said? How many times we open the Word of God in the morning, we're like, wow, that's so challenging and important, and yet we walk away and nothing shifts. Christians are so good at talking about love, but do we love? Christians are so good at talking about grace, but are we filled with grace? How do we talk about God's forgiveness of us, and yet sometimes we're the least forgiving people out there? This confuses me. And parents, how many times do we demand obedience from our children and our children observe no obedience in us? How often do we say, do what I say to the young people in the next generation, yet they look at us and they're going, I heard the sermon. Is your life in obedience? It's challenging for me as a dad to know that my son is watching. I was going to do this moment, I was going to get the teenagers to stand up and look at all the adults in the room, but we're watching you. But then I thought it'd be a bit weird for the teenagers and people would probably leave the room. Brennan Manning says it like this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then they walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Wow. I think if non-Christians in the room were feeling courageous enough, I could say, hey, non-Christians, amen. There might just be silence, but amen. The rhythm of hearing and obeying is one of the distinguishing factors between someone who might call themselves a Christian and someone who might call themselves a disciple. And friends, the world doesn't need more Christians. Can I be honest? We do need more disciples. People who take Jesus at His word because we're all disciples of something. We're all being discipled by something. So why? Why would we want to obey God? Why on earth? Like you might be seeing him being like, Michael, are you serious? Like, I'm not going to do it. Why would I want it? And James tells us, right? It's at the end. He goes and he says this. Whoever looks intently to the perfect law, what does the law do? It gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. This gives us a hint as to why God says, will you come follow me? We come do what I say. You want to know why? Because he has our best interests at heart. I have a son called Archer. The picture will be on the screen behind me. And Archer's learning obedience at the moment. This is a moment when he discovered the thrill of a sprinkler and how much fun they are. But there are different moments when I say, hey, Archer, don't do that. And Archer, like, it's like the only words he knows how to say perfectly. Every time I say, hey, Archer, don't do that, he looks at me and goes, because why? Every time. Hey, Archer, don't jump off the trampoline, mate. Because why? Hey, Archer, don't punch your brother. Because why? (laughs) Hey, Archer, don't put your hand on the hot plate. Because why? And sometimes it's like, just put your hand on the hot plate. Just do it. Just see what happens. And sometimes I'm like, because I said. How many parents have said that before? Because I said. Because I'm your dad. And sometimes it's like, ah, do what you want. I'm like, no, 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 don't do what you want. But when I say to Archer, don't run out into traffic. And he doesn't do what I say. I'm not angry at him because I don't love him. I'm not angry at him because I think he's worthless. I'm not angry at him because he's such a disobedient little boy. I'm angry at him because I care. Why would you not? Listen, you run into traffic, you would get hurt. That's not flourishing, that's not life. Trust me. How many times do we look at God and God says, trust me with your finances, because why? (laughs) Trust me with your sexuality, because why? (laughs) Trust me with your marriage, because why? Trust me with your job because why? 
And God looks at us and goes, because I love you. The world, friends, they're trying to take from us. Companies and brands, they're not wanting our good, they're wanting our money. God is wanting you to flourish. He created you, He purposed you. And what James is trying to hint at here is that when we say, because why, God turns around and, turns around and goes, I will give you a reason. Read Scripture. The reason why I say what I say is all in there, but let me tell you the real reason. It's because I love you. It's because I love you. It doesn't matter how many times you disobey me, I'm gonna keep loving you. I'm gonna keep asking you to obey me, not because I wanna oppress you, but because I wanna free you. Timothy Keller says it like this, freedom is not the absence of limitation and constraints. It is finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and they liberate us. Love each other as you love yourself. Christ would say, do unto others as, I would do, as you would do unto you, as you would want done unto you. These are not ways of oppression. These are things of freedom. Husbands, serve your wives. Wives, serve your husbands. This beautiful coexistence of marriage isn't meant to hurt us, but free us. And yet we read the Word of God, we're like, well, God, I just, I'm just not about that religion stuff. Either's God. He's about relationship. He's about you winning. He's about your blessing and your good. Friends, do you know? Obedience is the way of the disciple. Why? Because obedience, when we obey God, it shows this, we trust Him. We trust Him. And some of you in this room struggle with that. You're like, why would I trust God? Why? And some of you as Christians, you know God's saying something to you this year. Hey, I need you to put that down. I need you to pick that up. I need you to love your wife. Love your husband. Show grace to your children. Stop gossiping at work. And we're going, because why? And God's going, Chris, listen, number one, I love you and it's the best way forward. But number two, will you trust me? Why should I trust you? Here's what I love about God. God never asks something of us that He hasn't first asked of Himself. And what we don't often know, and every time I read this Scripture, I like have to go into commentaries. I'm like, what the heck is being said here? But, but there's this, Moment in history where God humbles Himself to become a human in the person of Jesus. And Jesus walks the earth as a man. And before this moment, when the Trinity was in heaven, when the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit was together, there was no need for God to know obedience because why did God need to obey? But when Jesus became human, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says it like this, that Jesus learnt obedience from what He suffered and once made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. There was a moment when Mary and Joseph said, hey, hey Joseph, hey, hey Jesus, maybe don't jump off the trampoline. Who knows, maybe Jesus said, because why? Maybe He didn't. But we know this, that it wasn't that Jesus was disobedient, He never disobeyed, but He had to learn what it meant to go, I will listen because I trust. And as He grew, this man named Jesus, who was also God, had to obey His Father in heaven not only obey His Father in heaven, but also choose willingly of Himself, that He saw a world broken by disobedience, broken by humanity. He's like, because why God? I'm gonna live my own way. And as we live our own way, things get broken, things get hurt, things fall apart. So Jesus goes, I will obey on behalf of all humanity. I will obey to the point of death, death on a cross. I will die that death, why? That people will know I have obeyed to the end of the earth for you, why? So when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, you don't see a God, a totalitarian ruler that says, obey me because I need your approval. You see a humble king who says, I give my life for you. 
I die for you. Even if some of you in this room today say, I want nothing to do with God, God will still die for you again. He would die days on end if it would change that fact. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you and He wants you to flourish. He wants you to know that His way isn't meant to be a way of oppression, but a way of freedom. Do you know freedom today? Do you know freedom today? Some of us have stopped obeying Jesus. And we stopped obeying Jesus because we're hurt, we're angry. We don't think He can be, be, be trusted. And I'm gonna call us those who call ourselves disciples or Christians. I really believe in my heart, there's people here that God's saying, will you obey me with this? And some of you today who are not yet Christians and you've been taught that religion is to control. In my experience, I've never been so free. That it's when I'm in line with God's will, man, I, I love life. But it's when I walk my own way that things seem to go wrong. And so the offer is for us all today. Will you trust Him? Because He loves you. Because He loves you. So as I close today, I just wanna ask, what is it that's stopping you from obeying God? Some of us aren't obeying God because we don't think He can be trustworthy. And I would say to those people, would you look at Jesus and would you study Him and see His character and His goodness and say, a God that would die and be humiliated for you might just be a God who could be trusted. There are some of you here today who you're Christians and you want to obey God with some of our life, but not with some parts of our life. And I'd say there's this great line, Jesus is either king of all or not king at all. Trust Him with your life. Because I believe what obedience leads to is to intimacy. There are even these moments and I just finish here where I've just sensed God, hey, Michael, I want you to give that up for a season. And I always debate with God. And this year, God's just put on my heart just to give up YouTube. Um, I know it seems like a really petty thing, unless you're a teenager, you probably know where I'm at. I watch too much YouTube. Um, I'm like, just, I love movie trailers. Go into a different time. And I was just wasting a lot of time on it. I just sense like just this year that God'd be like, Michael, would you just give that time up to free that up for something else? And I'm like, yeah, because why? And then you know what I did at the start of this year and, and I thought it'd be painful. I'm more present with my kids. I'm more present with my wife. It's just, I just, my mind is freer. I wish I'd done it years ago. But at the time I thought God was asking me to chop off my arm. But I trusted Him. And maybe it might be as simple as that. But I think there's some people in this room where husbands, you're being called to be faithful. Wives, you're being called to be faithful. Children, God's saying to you, hey, Someone listen to mum and dad a bit. Some of you have been called to pray for someone, to invite someone to Alpha, to, to live a certain way, and you've been resisting and resisting. And I just say this, some of us think, man, why, why is my faith so stagnant? And I would just say this, I, I guarantee you it's because there's something God's calling us to do and we're not doing it. Sometimes people say, God never speaks to me. I, I just say, what's the last thing you remember Him saying, hey, would you do this? Did you do it? Sometimes God goes silent because we just stop listening. We don't want to hear what He's got to say.